and a light unto my pathway. Now take your Bible out and wave it in the air. Say the word of God. The word of God. Come on, saints. Say the word of God. The word of God. Is, is my textbook. I see somebody waving their iPad. Praise the Lord. And their cell phone. Praise God. Whatever kind of words you got. Amen. We thank you for joining us this morning. As you know, we're not doing this for show. Uh, we're not doing this because we're lazy and we need help to preach. <laughs> We realize that there often is a, is a time to change it up a little bit. Amen. amen. And, and, and we are good for enjoying worship. Right. We enjoy it. But God wants us to do more enjoy it. He wants us to come into edification and understanding of his word. So Pastor Coxman and I, impressed by the Holy Spirit, were led to do this series entitled The Gray. And we're just going to get right into it. Just a quick review. Most of you know by now that to think like a pastor was a sermon simply designed to get us to realize that if it ain't right for somebody else, if you don't think it is, they shouldn't be doing that. Especially it amazes me how people don't like when people gossip about them, but it's all right for you to gossip about somebody else. Right? If it ain't right, and we use preachers as an example and leaders as an example, if it's not, if you don't think we should be doing it, if you don't like the way Pastor Coatsum carries on his dating life, then you shouldn't carry yours on that way either. That's right. <clears throat> oh, I can't. <laughs> amen. 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 Does God hold leaders to a higher standard? Yes, he does. But guess what? Everybody is a leader in their own right. Everybody has influence over somebody. And this is the scripture that we... That we, that we read. Pastor Colton, if you read this for us, sure. this, this is simply what God says about how we should live. First Corinthians 11. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You notice that was our bombshell text, our big idea, basically for our last sermon. The point being that Paul was saying, listen, you can follow me and I will get you to Christ. I'm looking at Jesus. I'm walking in the pathway that's going to get me connected with Jesus. I'm following him wherever he's going. And I'm telling you, especially to the Corinthian church, which was probably the worst church in all of history. Listen, you can follow me, follow my example, and I can get you to Christ. I think our main objective point at that point was also that, that we're not saying that you can't tell people to look to Christ. What we are saying is the best method in order to get people connected to Christ is you. Yeah. It's your example in how you live. It's a, it's a lie. It's not in the Bible. Mm-hmm. This is what we're trying to do. We're trying to get people to see that there's some stuff that we say that's not biblical. Case in point. Don't look at me. Look at Christ. That ain't the Bible. It ain't in the Bible. <laughs> the only Christ they're going to see, as Pastor Tosin just explained, is in you. You should be able to say, like Paul, hey, look, follow me. For Jesus, I got it. And follow, if you follow me long enough, you'll get where he is. Amen. <clears throat> All right. So we've decided to entitle this thing, The Pursuit of Happiness. No, we were not inspired by the movie with Will Smith in it. This is something that we got as in studying the word, <laughs> the word of God, and we decided this would be fitting today. All right? 
So, we're going to start with a text that all of you know. It's not one of those texts that you often go to the Bible to find. Most of us, when we open the Word of God, we immediately go to those glamour shot texts. Those texts like, uh, uh, God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ever ask or think. We love the promises of Scripture. No weapon formed against me. Shall prosper. Yeah. Right, 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 right. All of these beautiful texts that give us a good, warm, fuzzy feeling inside. But sometimes in the Bible, Jesus talks straight and God talks straight to us. All right? So let's, let's talk straight for a moment. Yeah, sure. That's what the scripture says. This is, it is what it is. Do not love the world. Have mercy. Or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. Uh-huh. For everything in the world, the lust or crave of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Mm. Verse 17 says, The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Break it down, Pastor. Uh, let's just make this plain. If you love the world, the love of God is not in you. <laughs> this is the word of God. I have not added, I haven't sugarcoated anything. I'm just telling you what the word of God says. If you love anything in the world, the Bible says, the love of the Father is not in you. You. That's pretty straightforward. All right? That's pretty straightforward. All right? The three things that are in the world are uh, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, let's look at one more text and see what the Bible says. So, on one hand, the Bible says, do not love the world. And if you love the world, God's love ain't in you. Simple as that. (laughs) Now, watch what the Bible says also. It says, for God so loved the world Mm. that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So on one hand, the Bible says, if you love the world, mm-hmm. hey, the love of God's not in you. Then we turn around and look at another verse that says, oh, but God loves the world. You. Now, you can be sanctified in your mind all you want, but this looks like an apparent contradiction. A glaring contradiction, that's right. We got to break this thing down. There must be something with the word world that we do not understand. God loves the world, mm-hmm. but then at the same mouth, same mm-hmm. prophet, mm-hmm. John mm-hmm. tells us, but... If you love the world, <laughs> the love, the love of, of the Father is not in you. There must be something with this word world that we need to break down. Go ahead, Pastor. Okay. So let's ask ourselves, let me ask you a question today. What is worldliness? Now you can speak up today, shout it out at me. I want to hear. What is worldliness? How do you recognize be it? Be honest. Be honest today. Are skinny jeans worldly? Okay. Somebody said yes. You, you, All right. You felt that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is jewelry worldly? Is makeup worldly? How can you distinguish somebody who's worldly from somebody who is not? So you're saying, yes, please, speak up, yes. What's worldliness? Uh-huh. Okay, she said anything in the world that takes your affection from God, right? Yes. That's what All right. Otherwise, did you have something to say? He was okay. about to help us with a mic, but we okay, okay, the okay. mic, they'll take over the sermon. Go Anybody ahead. else? Talk loud, loud. Quick, 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 quick. Real quick. What's worldliness? Media. All of it? Media. Okay, media. All right. Go ahead. All right, following the ways of the world instead of the ways of the Lord. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, we asked you all a straightforward question. The question was, what is worldliness? Right. We're getting a lot of answers. Go ahead. Did you have your hand up? Okay. You, yes, go ahead, Marquita. Oh, promiscuity. Promiscuity. Okay, skinny jeans and promiscuity. Is that being worldly? Mm -hmm. How many agree? If I'm a fornicator, am I worldly? 
Okay. Anybody else? Worldliness. Come on. Give me, tell the truth. Y'all know. Come Can on. we spot worldliness by sight? Can we see it? Somebody said yes. Can you see worldliness? Wow. All in favor that say you can see worldliness, raise your hand. All in favor who says you cannot see worldliness, raise your hand. All of you who are confused and don't know one way or the other, raise your hand. How many feel like we're setting you up? Raise your hand. Oh, oh, oh. We are. We are. We are. We are. We are. We are. All right. All right. So let me just ask tell them. Just tell them straight up. Yes. <laughs> I want to ask them. Your theory. Okay, okay. This is my theory. This is the theory. First of all, let me ask you a question. By show of hands, how many of you in this room want to be happy? Come on now, let's be honest. How many of you want to be happy? Okay, don't stone me and don't crucify me. But if you desire to be happy, chances are you are worldly. <clears throat> Anybody want to change their decision? Who agrees? No, seriously, who agrees with that? <clears throat> what, listen, this, when he said it in the office, when we were working on this, <clears throat> and the Holy Ghost dropped that bombshell on the pastor, and for those of you who are in second service, you know, whoa, First service. Let me tell you what he's saying. He's saying, if you want to be happy, you are worldly. <laughs> Help us, Lord. <laughs> who agrees with the pastor? Who, who does not agree? Who wants to know more? Ah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, okay, okay. Who's scared? <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, let's, let's help go. him out. Let's go. Okay. So we all have, yes. sure, we all have learned the Declaration of Independence at some point in school. We learned that thing, and we all know that uh, the Declaration of Independence came about. It was a writing, basically, to let, uh, yeah, sure, let the world know, um, or let Americans know, people who are traveling to America, what the status would be of Americans coming. So. It was just to let people know that America would be a free nation. Now, mostly that happened just because everybody wanted to be religiously free, but it has translated now. Is that better? Yeah. Okay. It said it doesn't sound good. Okay. You got to turn it. All right. So we all know this. <laughs> all right. That, that other mic was worldly. Mercy. <laughs> all right. So we all know this thing. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and endowed with their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the what? Pursuit of happiness. This declaration of independence, at least the beginning part, uh, means to us, this is the American dream. This it is. This is what everybody wants. Every, would you agree today that because God created you, you are free? You can do whatever you want. God has given you life. He has given you liberty. And now America has added on into this thing. Now you also have a right and even maybe an obligation to pursue happiness. We got a little feedback in his mic. Let's, let's take that out. Okay. So most people, when they come to America, if they're immigrant or they're coming from a third world country or something like that, they have the belief that the streets are paved with gold. Mm-hmm. That America is the land of opportunity. And here, you can do whatever it takes or whatever you need to do in order to be happy. And that's the culture that we live in. Whatever makes you happy, that's what you should do. I mean, the American dream is simply this. It's to be financially secure, be able to do whatever you want, retire, sit at ease, and just die and die happy. That's the American dream. Happy, happy. It is rooted in being comfortably happy. No pain, no suffering, 
no trial, no tribulation, just want to be successful. And we even want this for our kids. We want our kids to grow up, be middle class, upper middle class, make good money, live in a nice house, take care of us, take care of us, take care of us, and everything just be okay. Your boy, Pastor John Anthony Coatsum, is positing. We're making the argument, I'm with him, that happiness, the pursuit of it, the American dream, is anti-biblical. And we're All right. Now, what the Bible says about worldliness. That's a good question, by the way, because <laughs> everybody has their own Opinion. philosophy. That's true. That's true. We've got about 25 answers for worldliness. Yeah, skinny jeans and everything else. Yeah. All kind of stuff. Okay. <laughs> what the Bible says about worldliness. Worldliness is what we found. Worldliness seeks happiness in, at the expense of God or independent of God. That is worldliness. We want to be happy, so we'll do whatever it takes to get it. And we don't care what God thinks or what God says about it, okay? Yeah, happiness is summed up a bunch of Ps. Pleasure, mm -hmm. power, um, prestige, right. and painless. Right, that's right. That's pretty much what people want in life. They want to be painless, they want prestige, they want power, and, uh, you know, whatever else. And Let's God says nowhere in Scripture to pursue happiness. It doesn't say that. In fact, the only time where God even talks about being happy is in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes where he said, blessed are those, but he does not say blessed are those who have everything that they want. In fact, the word, the word blessed, makurios, actually means happy. Happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Happy are those that mourn. So the Bible doesn't tell us that everything is always going to be all right in order for us to be happy. It just says we are happy when we are serving the Lord. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself, so let's read the text. Well, I mean, all right? might as well. I mean, the Bible actually goes on so far to say it's that, that blessed are you or happy are you mm -hmm. when you're getting persecuted. That's when right. people are talking about you. Yeah, yeah. When they say all manner of evil mm -hmm. against you falsely. Mm -hmm. for my See, God's view of happiness is not our view. That's right. And we're going to show you right now what worldliness is. And hopefully by all of this, y'all will admit like we admit that we're worldly. That's right. I'll read it for you. All right, Romans 12. Oh, yeah. I, I, this is my text. I got to work this one. Yeah, read that. <laughs> Paul says this, Romans 12. Therefore, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy or God's grace, that's the motivator right there, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, all right, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but... Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Just very quickly, what we learn from this text with respect to worldliness and what it is, just trying to get a definition. The first thing is, it's a mindset. Yes. Notice what the Bible says. It says, be not conformed to this world. It didn't say be transformed by your clothes. And it said be transformed by what you drive. It says, be transformed by what, everybody? By the renewing of your mind. And it's, this is psychological. This is pretty much psychological. Whatever you think is what you're going to do. Behavior always follows thought. If you want to change your behavior, you got to change how you think. Amen? That's Next right. one. That's good. Oh, by the way, and it says, if your mind ain't changed, you won't even know what God's will is. That's right. That's right. All right, go All right. ahead. First John 5, 19. We know that we are children of God. And that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Mm -hmm. 
Now, this is, this is very important. Okay, there's somewhat of a contradiction here. Maybe, maybe not. The Bible says that we are children of God. And if we are children of God, that means that God is our Father. God chooses great and good things for us. God has placed us in this world. But at the same time, while we are in this world, the Bible says that the world, the whole world, is under the control of the evil one. Worldliness is of the devil. <laughs> now, it seems like we shouldn't have to say that. That's pretty obvious, Pastor Colson. Yeah, we assume that. But we need to say it simply because the Bible says it. The whole world, worldliness, is under the control of Satan himself. He is behind all of it. Okay. James 4.4. 4. Mm-hmm. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? What does enmity mean? Hatred, variance, difference, yes. Therefore... Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world, this is a strong word, becomes an enemy of God. Wow. Did that bother anybody? Did you hear that? Look, man, y'all got to let the word simmer in your spirit sometimes. Did you? Now, listen, if you are worldly, let's just say if you are, then the Bible says you are an enemy. Hostile. Mm. Hostile to God. Hostile. Enemy. Enemy. The Bible says enemy of God. Worldliness is deep, y'all. And it's not just something we should, we should have talked about 20 years ago. It's something we still should keep talking about as a church because obviously God has a problem with it. If you are worldly, you're an enemy of God. So a quick summary of what we saw. Basically, the Bible teaches about worldliness is this. You, if you're writing this down, be prepared to write this down. You're putting this in your, your, your devices. You're taking notes. We assume that you are because we know that you're going to share this with somebody else. That's why you're here in the first place, right? Number one, uh, 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 worldliness is a mindset. Amen? And who is behind it, everybody? All right? And it is anti-God. In other words, worldliness is an enemy to God. And it is incompatible with God's will. All right? And finally, it has no future. Break down that it has no future real quick, Pastor. The things of the world do not last. The Bible goes, <laughs> it's very clear. One day, everything in the world will burn in fervent heat. Nothing that you hold on to on this earth will last. In fact, Sister White even says that the only thing that we are taking to heaven with us is our character or our mindset. How we have shaped our thoughts and shaped our personalities and shaped our character and shaped the decisions that we make. That is the only thing that we are going to take to heaven with us and Uh, with worldliness there is no good fruit from worldliness Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. nothing good comes from it when you hold on to it or when you strive or pursue it with all of your heart eventually what you expected to get from it you never get the world god is just trying to he's trying to be practical with Mm -hmm. us look i don't want you i don't you got to avoid the world let me tell you why you got to resist worldliness why because it's going to hell that's right it's coming to an end. I'm not doing this to take away pleasure and happiness. I'm, I see the end from the beginning, and I'm telling you, this train is headed to hell. Jump off. Now we're about to show you. It's going to get closer to home now. Now we're about to show you just how worldly most of us are and don't even realize it from the pastor to the pew. Let's define it. All right, let's define this thing. It's from Joel This is an example of worldliness. Right. Yeah. The goal of worldly people, get this, is to move forward, not upward. All right. All right. The goal of worldly people is to amass as much achievement as they possibly can, 
to be successful in this world, even at the cost of their salvation. Worldliness is moving forward in life. I'm doing well. I got a nice car. I got a big bank account. I'm getting promoted in my job. I speak well. I'm eloquent. I have all these things going for me, but I have no concern for the things of God. That's worldliness. And it could, moving forward could even be, I got a man now. Or I got a girlfriend now. <laughs> I'm, and you're going to see in a minute just how real this thing is to us. And no longer can you run around church people saying they worldly and I'm not. And this is what I'm positive. This is the only reason why we started this thing. Everybody. There is something wrong with the church. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's something wrong. If, yes, if there was something right with it, we would be bursting at the seams. That's Y'all complain right. about two services. We'd have 20. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. In one day, 3,000 people came to Christ yes, when the church was on the same page with God. And then the Bible says daily after that, people were being saved. Let's face it. Come on. Let's just be honest. Yes. People are not coming to Christ. Yes, sir. And it's not the world's fault. It's the church's fault. I read the other day, Pastor, that the world is sitting back begging the church, please don't be like us. We want what you have. Yes, yes. Uh, Let me read this one. Worldliness, and this is, (laughs) as we were studying this thing, Lord just dropped this in my spirit. Worldliness is socially acceptable idolatry. It's cool. See, it's it's cool to be worldly. Yeah. See, look, in biblical days, there was idolatry. Mm-hmm. Right. So if Pastor coaxed them, you know, they worshiped people, they worshiped objects. So it's just also, it's socially unacceptable for me to bow down to Pastor Coke and say, oh, I worship you, I love you, 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 have, you have blessed me, you have taken mm-hmm. care of me, all praise and honor to you. Or to praise, uh, or praise this object right here, I praise you, stool, you have provided for me. I thank, I thank you, stool, for everything you have. Nobody does that. Nobody bows down in front of their car. But Satan, he's subtle now. What he's done with idolatry now, it's not idolatry anymore. It's worldliness. And we are inadvertently worshiping everything but God. And it's cool to do it. Right. Worldliness is internal. It's not environmental. Basically, it's a mindset inside of you. All right. And that's why the Bible says that God loved the world. That's right. He, he could love. He doesn't love the principles of the world, mm-hmm. but he loves the world. Mm-hmm. And worldliness is not people. It's principle. All right. Listen, it takes legitimate desires. This is worldliness. It it's takes it legitimate does. desires that we have and turns them into gods that we worship. Wow. I'll say wow for you, Pastor. Yeah. That was my now, 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 think about this for a moment. The word that he uses is legitimate desires. We all have legitimate desires. I'm hungry. I'm going to eat. I want new shoes. I'm going to get it. There's nothing wrong with buying new shoes. There's nothing wrong with having nice clothes or even having nice things. But eventually what he's saying is worldliness turns these legitimate desires that we have into gods that now we say, I have to have this. And we cannot live without it. Almost to the point where we are worshiping Satan and worshiping the world and worshiping the object without even knowing it. All right? So here's how it begins. This is the process of how everything begins. I think I'll use the example of the cell phone that you had, Pastor. So we have a silent demand. Something, I want a nice phone. And everybody in this room, I know you want an iPhone. Nobody wants the Galaxy or the Samsung. Don't waste your money on anything else You want an iPhone. Okay? This is exactly what you want. God's men use iPhones. (laughs) Follow us as we follow Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, you want an iPhone. There's nothing wrong with that. They're great phones as far as I'm concerned. All right? Silent demand. No problem there. Then it becomes a preoccupation. All right? 
you start uh, looking up online all the specs of the cell phone. <laughs> all day long, you're on it. You can't breathe without it. When you see somebody with a cell phone, you wake up in the morning with the cell phone still in your hand from last night. You have to tweet. You have to text furiously. Your thumbs are about to fall off because you love your phone so much. It becomes a preoccupation for you. Okay? Silent demand, then preoccupation. Then it becomes an obsession. Have mercy. Yo, I never yeah. lose my phone. I never lose my phone either. I never lose my phone either. I lose money, but I don't right. lose my phone. And I have to have it. And at the moment where I cannot feel my phone in my pocket or it's not in my hand, I'm searching like a wild madman looking for my phone. I have to have it. I have to. I cannot miss one text <laughs> or I'm in trouble. I can't do it. I don't know why. It becomes an obsession. And then finally, it becomes a need. I cannot live without my phone. I don't even want to live without my phone. I choose not to. All right? So this is the process now, of romance. Man, they're judging us, man. See, some folk, they don't use phones. What's that? Well, see, scandal. Oh, that's it. That's it. Y'all know y'all watch that ABC on? Come on. Scandal, scandal could ABC. be this. Where you cannot miss it. You can't miss Olivia Pope. You got to have it. <clears throat> you see what happens uh -huh. here? It becomes a need where we say, what would I do? Without this or that or him or her or it. Go ahead, Doc. Anything. All right? Oh, this is good. This is good. So many of, how many of you are familiar with this? Maslow's hierarchy of needs. This is awesome. Maslow, a brilliant psychologist up there with Sigmund Freud, he did a study on people and he studied them and he wanted to see what makes people tick and what do people need to exist and to survive and to live. Here is what he came up with, Okay. He has psychological, uh, the base of this thing is the foundational things that you need. Now, the pastor is going to get excited on this part, all right? So we have breathing. We got to ha have that. You got to breathe. I mean, come on. Right? You, you must have food, whatever kind of food you like, you got to eat. You must have water. And wow, pastor, could you read that next word? You have to have sex. That's <laughs> what he's saying. Now, this is what he's saying. He's saying you can't live without it. You cannot live without it. <laughs> okay. Sleep. Hey, if, that, if that's the case, <laughs> there should be dead bodies. Everywhere. All over, all over. Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> Sleep, <laughs> homeostasis, or a sense of comfortability and excretion. We all know what that is. Yeah. Then he moves up. After you have those basic needs, then you got to be safe. You have to feel some sense of security. Security of body, employment, resources, morality, the family, health, property, all these things. Then you move up a little bit more. You've got to have friendship, family, and then sexual intimacy, which is, I guess he figures is different from sex. I don't know. Okay. There is a difference. All right. Okay. Only marriage can give you that. Mercy. Esteem, self-esteem, confidence, achievement, respect of others, respect by others, and then finally self-actualization, -actual morality, creativity, spontaneity, problem-solving, lack of prejudice, acceptance of facts. This is what a secular psychologist, and we take nothing from him because I believe he was a brilliant man, brilliant man. This is what he posited is everything that you need to be happy or to be successful or to be able to live in this world. What do you think is missing from this? God is nowhere on this thing. But the fact is, we all believe that we have to have these things. We have to have it. We have got to have it. If we do not have it, then we cannot survive. Okay, and now you make a good point. I mean, you got to have food. you got to have water, sex. That's debatable, I guess, by some of you. I don't know. Sleep, homeostasis, and all of these things. But what we often fail to realize is, God said, listen to me carefully now, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, 
and all these things shall be added unto you. You say, Pastor, well, I don't have to really seek God for food and for water. I mean, I get that. I need that. But the word of God says your bread and your water shall be sure. He says, don't even, he says, you take, take no, no thought. thought. That's right. No thought. Mm-hmm. No thought. Take no thought for what you eat, for what you drink, for what you wear. Mm-hmm. Now, we're, we're going to talk about dressing a little bit. But one of the things you know is about Jesus in one of the weeks to come. It's like there's nothing in the Bible that talks about Jesus's style. That's right. Because he took no thought of it. That's right. It wasn't that deep to him. And so here, Pastor is just simply showing us that these things, independent of God, become idols. Your food can be an idol. And we know sex can be an idol. Let the church say amen. Amen. (laughs) Sit up here and look at me like you're crazy. Ellen White, Ellen White, (laughs) Ellen White summarizes for us, and we believe this is a, this, this, this crystallizes the idea of worldliness, and it really embraces all of us to fall under it, even those of us who don't think we are. She breaks it down. She says, the cross of Christ appeals to the benevolence or the giving spirit of every follower of the blessed Savior. In other words, we're motivated by the example of Jesus dying on the cross, right? Mm -hmm. The principle of Jesus, basically what she's saying, is to give, give. So the principle of God's kingdom is to give, give. If you are a Christian, your mantra in life is I give. It's not about me. It's sacrifice. sacrifice. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about my comfort. I'm totally consumed with others and with God. And then notice what she says. The principle of worldlings is to get, get. How do I know if I'm worldly? I am self-centered, self-absorbed, self-consumed, self-aggrandized, self-reliant, self-dependent, self. At the end of the day, worldly people are much like a a black hole. Mm -hmm. All they do is consume, 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 consume. They pull everything in a gravitational pull to themselves. And if you do any research on black holes, they are actually empty. There's nothing inside of them, right. but they are constantly pulling, pulling, pulling everything into themselves. And Sister White goes so far as to say that selfishness and pride should not even be a fruit on the Christian tree. All right. Yeah, and you brought up in the office, you were saying this, that even some of us who do things unselfishly for other people yeah, are yeah, yeah. doing it with personal benefit that's in right, mind. That's right. And the, even the, then it becomes narcissistic. My righteousness yeah. is that filthy rat. That's right. Uh, and notice, notice what happens when we pursue happiness, and it's going to come alive. The principle of worldlings is to get, get, and thus they expect to secure happiness. But carried out in all its bearings, the fruit is misery and death. Worldly people want to get, get happy. And the fruit of get, get happy, be, be happy, be, be comfortable, have everything together is misery and death. The train is going to hell. And that's what the world does. I feel like it sells happiness to us without God. Without God. That's it. This is the reason why we have so many people in the world today who are enjoying uh, promiscuity. I heard it mentioned just a minute ago because the world sells to us that you have got to get it now. Get it now. Never tell yourself no. Right. Never tell yourself no. Do you. But what we do not realize is that the only fruit of doing things independent of God or premature ahead of God or any ways behind God is misery and death. Nothing else can come from it. That's right. So what you basically think about the most, what drives you, what excites you, what disappoints you. If you lost your phone, you're upset, you're tearing up the house, you got an attitude for the rest of the day. 
if you broke up with your boyfriend or he broke up with you and you just can't live anymore. The world's mindset is to get us consumed, to get us consumed. And man, we're reading this section on media and just seeing how consumed we are. If our lives were stripped from worldliness, many of us would not know how to live. The church in worldliness. Now, okay. this is where we're going to kind of bring this thing to a close. But this is the issue that we're having. Again, I wanted to say this, Pastor. Mm-hmm. The problem, the only reason why we're doing this series mm-hmm. is because we feel that there's something wrong with the effectiveness of the church. Sure. We're praising God. We're having a good time. Mm-hmm. We're worshiping, et cetera, et cetera. But we're not seeing people come to Christ. <laughs> Let me just say this. I don't care how you feel in here. I don't care what it's doing for you personally. If the church, even this church, is not winning people to Christ in droves, we are failing. failing. I don't care care what word you enjoy. If people are not coming to Christ regularly, then we are not meeting the mission for which we exist. And there's something inwardly wrong with us. The only reason why I sneeze is not because I got a sneezing problem. There's something inside of me that causes me to sneeze. The only reason why I got diarrhea is because I got a virus. The only reason why my nose is running is because there's something internally wrong with me that causes my body to behave inappropriately or, 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 not, or not in the right way. And that's why we're seeing the church getting consumed by the world. Now, there are two expressions in the Bible that, and this is the amazing thing about the word, and this, hopefully this thing will drive you to the word. Richard, there are two expressions in the Bible of how the church traditionally responds to the world. Two. And I'm, we're about to show you right now, Fred, that it hasn't changed from Jesus' day to our day. They're still here. Mm-hmm. Let's break that down right now. You ready? I'm ready. So these are the two extreme, extreme, that's the key word, responses to the world that happened in Jesus' day. All right? First, we have the Pharisees. You've heard about them. We preach about them all the time. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus is verbally and argumentatively jousting with them. He's winning battles and arguments with them as they try to trip him up. All right? So here's what we found out about the Pharisees. The Pharisees clung to their identity at the expense of their relevancy. Let me say that again and then break it down. They clung to their identity at the expense of their relevancy. In other words, because they wanted to preserve their Jewish heritage so much, Mm -hmm. and because they wanted to preserve the fact that they were God's people so much, they wanted to come up with (laughs) measurable standards now to keep everybody in the cookie-cutter shape of what they thought was spiritual and holy. Rules. So what did they do? They came up with uh, another 3,000 or so rules on top of God's law that they kept so that when people saw them, oh, I look like a Pharisee, I look like a Jew. When they spoke, they spoke like a Jew. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. They had a whole number of rules that people could not even keep. They clung to their identity at the expense of their relevancy. And so much because they have separated themselves from the rest of the world Mm. so much. Now they could not even minister to the world. They didn't. See, God, the only reason why a people of God exists is to reflect the image of God. They got so caught up on being the people of God. That they could care less whether the world went to hell or not. That's true. All they want to do is, how can we remain pure from the world? As Pastor Colton said, they simply wanted to preserve and protect their identity Mm. at the expense of relating to the world to be able to save them. Do we ever, do we see ourselves in this? Come on, somebody say amen. Wow, that was so weak. Are y'all bored? (laughs) Y'all don't see yourselves in this? Do we oh, not this is the church, for real. Yeah. Uh, do we not try to distinguish ourselves from the rest of the world? When that becomes our main purpose, 
is distinguishing and separating ourselves from the world, we are no longer valuable to the world. We if have you, nothing to give them. If you have to use what you don't do and what you wear and where you don't go and the Sabbath, if you have to use those to distinguish yourself from the world, then you are worldly. That's right. That's right. That's what the Pharisees did. And they, they had good motives, didn't they, Pastor? Sure, they did. Well, well I mean, intention. What drove well them to this? They wanted to be separate. And they just wanted people to know, like, listen, we are holy. We want to make sure that we are... Uh, Basically, there were gray areas during that time as well. Yeah. They did not have the story of Jesus as we have it today. They didn't even have as many uh, uh, principles that we have today from the Bible. So they came up with their own. They were trying to say, listen, we got to be able to measure our holiness. We have to be able to measure our righteousness. The only way to do that is to come up with more rules. <coughs> All right? Continue. And, uh, Control. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. And also, after you do that, it, it becomes quite easy to make the church a club. Only wow. certain people can get in. And as long as we can keep everybody walking the same and dressing the same and speaking the same and in the same mindset, if we can brainwash everybody, then we'll have everybody walking and talking like us. That's a problem, brothers and sisters. That is worldliness. All right. Pharisees get uncomfortable when people don't look and act like them. Oh, very, oh, very, 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 very. That's right, that's right. That's and right. listen, and if they take too long... See, we'll give them the first couple of Sabbaths. Mm -hmm. But if they take too long, you want to find, come up and, Pastor, I saw so-and-so doing this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When y'all going to do something about it? Yeah. That's because what insults them is their identity. Yeah. They worship who they are. Right. We have the truth. Mm -hmm. We are the remnant. Yeah. <laughs> what you going to do with it? That's right. Oh, yeah, okay. All right, so the Sadducees. And so listen, this is what we're trying to say, and I'm going to give it to this quick because we got to yeah, really get yeah, on this. Yeah. Basically, the Sadducees and Pharisees, they always came in conflict with Jesus, didn't they? Yeah, you heard that all your life. You really don't know who they were. But yeah, the Sadducees and Pharisees, you know, we always say they rhyme, they know, blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing. These were two different mindsets on how the church should respond to the world. And what we're showing you right now is that these two different mindsets are living today. So the Pharisees were the conservatives. Legalists. The legalists. The Sadducees, ah, we coming down your street too, were, were the friends of the world. And it, it, these were all the successful people in Israel. They were the priests, they were the lawyers, they were the doctors. And their thing was, is, look, man, we're under Roman occupation. How can we progress in Rome if we don't become friends with them? And they even bought into their theology to even believe that there was no resurrection because it was not socially acceptable. They wanted social acceptance at the expense of their identity. In other words, they, wanted, they didn't want people thinking they were weird. <laughs> oh, no, no. We got all the amens on the Pharisees part. But we ain't getting no amens on the Sadducees part. We got two extremes here, y'all. We don't like Pharisees. But listen, neither did the Sadducees. The Sadducees were worldly because the Sadducees were trying so hard to be approved of and accept. They didn't want to offend the world. That's right. That's right. Okay. And neither are necessarily wrong. In other words, identity, having wanting to preserve yes, identity good in both. is right. not wrong. Wanting to be relevant to the world is not wrong. We should. It is when we push ourselves to different extremes that it becomes 
really, really wrong. We have to find a way to get ourselves back to the center and be balanced in every decision that we make in this world. Yeah, the Bible says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the the scribes and Pharisees, you in no ways will see the kingdom of God. All right. right. Um, Here's what, now, I'm just going to summarize the statement. Basically, what Ellen White is saying, she says, it was Pharisees and Sadducees that killed Jesus. Conservatives and liberals came together to kill Jesus. So what that tells me is, to be conservative or liberal is not Christ-like. Amen. Amen, Pastor. Amen. 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 We're trying to follow Christ. That's it. Not our feelings. And sometimes I'm both. I'm like a Pharisee. When I see somebody doing something I don't do. And I'm a Sadducee. When I see somebody doing something I do. It's weird. It's all about me. All right. Now, how did Jesus handle worldliness? Jesus and worldliness. This He's whole, our example. Yeah, this whole presentation wouldn't be good if we didn't give you how-tos, all right? So let's go. Matthew read, chapter 3. You. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Um, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. Now, just get this in your mind. We're showing you how Jesus differed from the scribes, from the Pharisees and Sadducees and how he related to the world. And we're suggesting to you that Christ's way is the way that we should follow. How many agree with that? All right. So as soon as Jesus was baptized, just like you, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was open, yeah. we're almost done, uh-huh. and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Verse 17. Watch, Catch watch. this, guys. And a voice from heaven said, this goes right back to Pastor Coxham's uh, uh, hypothesis that to seek happiness is worldly. And a voice from heaven said, and we, who was the voice? We're about to find out. This is my son. Whom I love, with him I am well pleased. I remember that. Okay. So, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Of course, he would be. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God. All right, go back now. uh, Let's back up a little bit. Rewind just a little bit. All right, here we go. Jesus is baptized. And the Bible says, as soon as he comes up out of the water, the heavens are opened. <laughs> and a voice booming is heard into the crowd that day. God speaks and says, this is my beloved son. Preach, pastor. In whom I am well pleased. There's no contradiction there. We ain't, we, we, we ain't confused about that in any way. God says, this is my beloved son. Now let's move. Then Jesus is hungry. The spirit leads him into the wilderness. And the first thing that the devil asks him is, if you are the son of God. Preach. Mm -hmm. Does anybody see that? Do you see what the enemy is trying to do? God just, his father just 40 days ago, his dad said to him, Tamika, this is my son. I'm pleased with you. And this is the work of the enemy. Yes, it is. This is how he brings in worldliness subtly to us. He gets us to doubt the word of God. Go ahead, Pastor. Oh, and I, who's reading this? The attack okay. of the devil is very simple. All he does is counterfeit what God says. Right. In the Garden of Eden, God told them, you will, will die. die. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Satan said, you will not surely die. Yeah. God tells him, you are my son. With you, I am pleased and I love you. And the very first thing that Satan asked him is, if you are the son of God. 
All right, let's move. Pastor, I feel like preaching this right now. I got to, let, me, let me just stay here Take for a minute. Take your time. Let me tell, listen, Take let me, your time. somebody needs to understand right now that you need to start believing what the word of God says. That's right. See, this is why so many of us get ourselves in trouble, because you don't know the word. You know what somebody else said. That's right. The only theology that you have ever gained has been gained by osmosis or by proxy. You got it from somebody. But many of us walk in darkness because we don't have the light of God's word and in truth. Jesus was full. And we're going to see how he's full of the word. Go ahead. Uh, Am I reading or are you reading? I can't remember. I'll read. Yeah. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Bread. Verse four. Jesus answered. It is written. Man shall not live. It just hit me, Pastor. See, all these gray areas that we have. This was not, it was not a right or wrong issue. That's right. But he responded with a gray area with a principle from Scripture. From the Word of God. It is not enough. That's right. When you don't know what to do to walk around talking about, I'm not convicted. That's right. You're not convicted behind will go to hell on not being convicted. That's right. You are, you need to know what the Word of God says. Then he says, uh, but on every word that comes from the mouth Mouth of of God, God, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Verse six, if you are the son of God, he, I mean, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. And now he's quoting scripture. Yes. Yes. Knows it better than you. (laughs) Knows it better than you. He will command, dude, pull the proof text out on it. That's right. That's right. He knows it. He will command his angels concerning you. <laughs> the devil is quoting the Bible. That's why y'all need to know the word. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said, all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God, serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels, go ahead, pastor. See, what we mostly, most of us don't realize is the subtle attack of the devil in this entire passage that we have here. The first thing he asked Jesus to do, Jesus, you're hungry. Man, you, brother, turn these stones into cornbread at least, please. Feed yourself if you're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. Brothers and sisters, there's nothing wrong with that. You have the power to feed yourself. There is nothing wrong with that. But the point is, if Jesus had done it independently of his father or prematurely of the Father's will, that's when it becomes worldliness. Okay? Then he moves a little bit closer and closer, and then finally, the devil shows his entire hand at the end, and he finally says, you know what, dude, what I really want, just worship me. (laughs) Just bow down. Just bend your knee and worship. That, that's what I really want. Just do that. If you, please, just, just, just worship me. And at the end of the day, Jesus responds every single time with the word of God. Preach, Brothers and Pastor. sisters, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Most of us do not even know who we are. What our identity is, what our marching orders are, what our purpose is in this world. We have no idea what the word of God says. And eventually the devil will be able to trip us up on slight little subtle things over and over and over again. Till we will come to the point where we are worshiping Satan and we do not even know it. I have two texts in the Bible that scare me today. The first text is that text where it says that Jesus comes like a thief in the night. Mm. Mm-hmm. That scares me because I know he can come at any time. I better be ready every single day of my life. And then the second thing is the story of Samson, where Samson gets up again to fight the Philistines. And the Bible says wow. he did not even know 
that the spirit of God had left him. We can come to the point where God is not even leading us anymore. We have no idea where we are going or what we are doing in our lives. We have come to two extremes. We are legalists and conservatives so much that we have so many rules to box ourselves in or we compromise more and more and more until eventually we're worshiping Satan himself. I mean, that's kinda, it kind of goes back to the series Possessed. When we, uh, we had James Whitehead up here and we had you and we had uh, BJ. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the enemy is, look, he don't really change much. That's right. He's not creative, okay? Mm-hmm. But you know how you read, like, the Old Testament? You're like, man, the Israelites was dumb, man. They stupid. They worshiping a golden calf? Y'all stupid. Y'all dumb. How could you do that? You worshiping a calf? God is right there on the mountain. Have you ever felt? Be honest. Be honest. Have you ever not looked? Come on, y'all. Have you ever not looked at the children of Israel? And like, they are so dumb. God just did this. Now you're complaining that you don't have any. Y'all are so stupid. Listen, I'm telling you right now. But they didn't see it like that then because Satan had tricked them then. Don't think for a minute that just because you live here now that you're not under some kind of deception yourself. And and that's what we were saying the other day. We were asking ourselves, that's going to be just had a off the cuff. We're just having a conversation. Like, I wonder if if God took our church and he recorded our lives and made a Bible out of it for the people 150 years from now. Baby loss. What would be the sin of this age? What would people look at in our lives and say, they are so dumb. I cannot believe that they would be this or they would do that or they would be consumed or preoccupied or obsessed with this. And this is the point that we're trying to make about this thing of worldliness. Worldliness without the Holy Spirit. You will not be able to see worldliness unless you are a student of the scriptures. Because the one behind worldliness knows the Bible. Yes, he does. Better than you. (laughs) Dude, that's so funny. Your boy was trying like every day, like... Do this. Jump off the cliff. Ah, it's worship me. This worship. <laughs> That's worldliness. That's what he really wanted. Worldliness is satanic worship. It's just cool. That's it. It's cool. Um, I'm sorry. I'm going here. I'm go ahead. Go ahead. Can I take senior pastor liberty right now? Take time. Take senior time. Pastor. Okay. That's it. That's it. <laughs> so here's the thing, man. Like I've come up. I've been. In, I've been around church for a long time. Yes. And so uh, I, look, I'm a pastor's kid. It amazes me how worldly we are. We will promote somebody in the church and call them a leader just because of how much money they make, how much education they have, if their kids are good looking, if they're good looking. You just operated on the principles of this world. But if somebody is poor, they're not articulate, they didn't come, they didn't, they didn't come through the middle class vending machine assembly line then we look down on them as if they don't have any value we got like a caste system in church right and we are just like them we got conservatives and liberals and all of us are fighting trying to figure out how to do this but christ says look if you follow my example i will show you how to relate to the world all right go ahead all right here's a summary Satan's goal through worldliness is to subtly, subtly, subtly 
get us to live independent of God. And brothers and sisters, <laughs> it is not that hard. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. Yeah, you right? don't have to be like a Satan worshiper to do this. I mean, again, sorry, just think about the conversation we had. Mm. Every decision we make. Can we talk about Joseph real quick? Oh, man. Go ahead. All right, so on Wednesday night, we talk about Joseph. Mm-hmm. Joseph <laughs> was a slave mm. in Potiphar's house. Right. His family got rid of him. Mm-hmm. He was in pain. <clears throat> if there was anybody that had an excuse to just get him some. Now I had a hard life. I'm in a country I can't even speak the language. Come on. My my family rejected me. So they, they they tried to kill me. Mm-hmm. Your boy Joseph gets in the middle of nowhere. God begins to finally bless him, mm-hmm. and the minute he gets blessed, he's tested. Mm-hmm. And the woman comes to him and says, she didn't even say, can we get a drink? She didn't say, can we go out to dinner? Come to bed. She says, come, come to, to bed, bed with Let's me. And your boy Joseph, it's a, he's, he's damned if he does, he's damned if he doesn't. That's right. If he says no, he's dead. Right. If he says yes, he's dead. And know what he did? He didn't think, you know what, somebody told me that the best decision to make in this situation is this. He didn't say, I'm convicted that I should do this. What he did is, he asked God, God, what would you have me to do? Right, right. <laughs> And then he said, I can't do this thing. It's sin against my God. The question he asked himself is, how can I do this thing? How can I do this? (laughs) After all that God has done for me, even though I'm in a bad experience, right? How can I do this against my God? I know his will. I know what he wants me to do. How can I do this? In light of my story. In light of my story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. How how was Christ in the world, but not of the world? How was Christ in? Christ was in, but not of, right? And that's the challenge that we have. How can we be in but not of? We're not supposed to abandon the world. All right. The antidote is uh, love God, love for his father. These were the principles by which Christ lived his life. And we're suggesting to you, these are the principles by which you should live your life and make every single decision. First thing is, he loved his father. The second thing is, is he loved humanity. And the third thing is, is he had a mission and a clear purpose and focus in life. And these are the things that one should make their decision on. Let me just go back a little bit. Let me say, we're almost done. If you just use your purpose to make decisions, one of the reasons why so many of us is jacking up is because we don't even know what we're here for. No, you can't marry him. With your purpose and where God's leading you, how are you going to marry somebody who don't know the Lord? I ain't talking about the potential you see in him to know the Lord. I'm saying, does he know Jesus now? It does not fit your story. All right. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Verse 34. Hearing that Jesus, Let me read it for you so you can break it down. Go ahead, go ahead. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, Tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Or how do I live in the world? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the what, everybody? First and greatest commandment. And then 39 says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40, all the law and the prophets 
hang on these two commandments. Go ahead, Pastor. Love for his father. Love for humanity. And Jesus was mission focused. Brothers and sisters, if you have these three principles in your life, you can make good, godly, and responsible decisions. All right. Mark 8. This is the bombshell here, and I love this thing, and we both may have to preach this. All right. Here we go. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders. So he's talking about his what? Anybody know? Based on those three things. What is he talking about? Love God, love people, his mission. What does he talk about now? He began to talk about what? His mission. Right. All right. So watch right. what happens. By the elders, uh, the chief priests, next, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. <laughs> All right. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now let us catch the scene of what's going Preach on. Preach this, pastor. Jesus is talking to the people and to his disciples. And he tells them, he, the Bible says he spoke plainly. Does it not say that? Jesus spoke plainly. I am going to the cross and I am going to die for your sins. My mission. They are going to nail me to the cross. I'm going to bleed. I'm going to suffer. They're going to whip me all night long. I am going to die. They're going to put my body in a tomb. I'll be there three days. I'll be resurrected again. I will go to heaven and then I'm going to commission you guys to go and spread the gospel news. When Peter heard that, Peter grabbed Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Took him to the side, mm -hmm. and the Bible says he rebuked him. He went in on him. He went in on him and said to him, Jesus, dude, you sounded crazy over there. What you talking about? You're going to die. What are you saying right now? And if you really want to go to the extreme and talk about the attitude and the personality of Peter, you may understand that Peter probably said to him, you ain't going out like that. Yeah. If we got to kill people, that's what we're going to do. You are not going to die. We're going to bust heads. Heads going to roll. I'm going to grab a couple of my friends and homies. We're going to do whatever we got to do. Jesus, you ain't going out like that. Stop talking crazy. You're talking crazy, man. People don't even understand what you're saying right now. You are not going to die. Jesus, that doesn't fit with the model that we have. That's not happy. happy. We want to be happy. We want to be happy. We can make you king right now. You ain't got to go to the cross. What are you talking about? So the Bible says Peter rebukes him harshly. Just goes in on Jesus. Tells Jesus what he's not going to do. <laughs> then the Bible says this. As he is speaking to Peter, the Bible says he turns to the rest of his disciples and says to them, get thee behind me, Satan. Oh, y'all missed that. It went Woo! Woo! He's talking to yeah, Peter. Yeah, I see it. Yes, yes. Then he turns to his disciples yeah, yeah. and says, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> Implying that Peter was being used by Satan to keep him off of his mission. If Jesus had listened to Peter or the crowds that wanted to make him king or the people that wanted to set him up before God's time, he would have never went to the cross and none of us would be saved. Peter was trying to tempt him to be worldly. That's right. Look, man, the, the, dude, you, you're healing people. That's right. Mm -hmm. Who does that? Mm -hmm. You're feeding people. Yeah, 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 yeah. We could run this joint. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do this. Let's do it. Let's do it. The world has so much to offer us. That's right. That's right. And Jesus is like, 
I'm going to call it what it is. This is not just world. It's not just a good idea. Satan. It's not just a bad decision. It's Satan. Yeah. It's satanic. I rebuke you. Right. You my boy, but you get, you get rebuked. And then look what Jesus says. You do not have in mind the concerns of God. Yes. That's but it. merely human concerns. Mm-hmm. You care about yourself too much. Worldliness. You just want to be happy. You want to go all the way and be rich and be uh, the right hand of the next king that is in line. Be but you do not care about the mission that I have to accomplish. Ooh. And I'm so thankful for Jesus today who mm. even told his own mother, which I probably would have been slapped for in my day. Mm. Jesus told his mother, well, I don't know if you know this, but I got to be about my father's business. <laughs> We ain't playing with that. I got to be about my father's business. And so Jesus tells Peter, and he's telling us today, you have in mind, if you are worldly, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Bring your thinking up a little higher. Seek the will of God first in everything that you do, even for the good things in life that we don't necessarily consider bad, even the legitimate desires of life. Then, then, after this, he called, this is the last text, he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. In other words, we need to have a team meeting because y'all not getting the game plan. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple, an enemy to work with him. Must deny themselves. See, you, if you ain't trying to deny yourself, you don't want to be no Christian. Go start your own religion. Christianity ain't about you or what you want to do. It's about denying yourself, taking up the cross, and following me. Verse 35. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel... We'll save it. Verse 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Here's the big idea. We're ending on this. The antidote to worldliness is the pursuit of Christ alone. Brothers and sisters, do not buy into the lie of the Declaration of Independence or even American modern day culture today. It is not about the pursuit of happiness. God, okay. God never promised you that every day of your life would be happy. God never promised you happiness. He promised you joy. You do know there's a fundamental difference in between the two. Happiness is because of, because I have this, I'm happy. Because I have a beautiful wife, I'm happy. Because I have a nice car, I'm happy. Joy is in spite of, no matter what God gives me, I'm gonna make lemonade out of these lemons. No matter what God gives me, I'm still going to praise him. I have in mind the concerns of God, not my own concerns. At the end of the day, worldliness will take every last one of us straight to hell. <laughs> Subtly. <laughs> Subtly. And I, I pray today that all of us, you, you understand what we're trying to say today. There's a saying that says, the, the, the road to hell is paved. is paved with good intentions. Even the things that we think are good for us, get this, brothers and sisters. God dropped this into me the other day when I was reading Ecclesiastes. The word of God says that everything is beautiful in its time. In God's time. You do anything before God. And you do anything after God. You're in trouble. It's sin. That's worldliness. We follow God wherever he leads. And as a result of that, we can even backtrack a little bit. We follow God and we invite other people to follow us as well. 
Follow me as I follow Christ. Praise God. It's time. It's time to make a decision on this thing here. Pastor Coxham and I, man, we're reading and studying and God is just pointing stuff out in our lives. And I'm even scared to go to the next one and the next one. Because we're starting to realize just how self-centered we are. We do not have in mind the things of God. I'm going to repeat that. Do you have in mind, are you concerned about what God is concerned about? Are you concerned about what God is concerned about? The things that break his heart, do they break your heart? The things that bring him excitement, do they bring you excitement? Is your life consumed and possessed with the things of God? Father, right now, we hope that we did justice to what you are trying to teach us about the deceitfulness of worldliness which has become the cool version of idolatry nobody is sacrificing their children to false gods anymore but we are sacrificing our children to sports and sacrificing our children to academics and sacrificing our children to popularity and to false ex- God we're not necessarily doing exactly what they did in biblical days But God, we have embraced the principles of this world. And God, we're asking you right now that you will come in like a mighty flood and help us to be concerned about what concerns you right now. If you want to be concerned about what God is concerned about, I invite you to stand right where you are. If you mean it, if you mean it, you want the heart of God.